Corey Gleed, a clinical psychologist, and I specialize in evidence-based treatment for anxiety, depression, and stress. And I'm Anna White. I'm a former Wall Street executive. I experienced severe burnout at one point in my career, and I discovered that it had a lot to do with my type C personality. Anna and I are here to educate people about type C traits, which are being pathologically nice, putting the needs of others above yours, avoiding conflict, always saying yes, and worrying excessively about disappointing other people. On each episode, we'll share personal stories and also strategies for how to live in healthier ways and how to prevent burnout. We are so excited today to have Dr. Nathan Tomsick on the podcast. He is a board-certified couples and family psychologist. He has advanced training in integrative behavioral couples therapy, which is an evidence-based approach that focuses on helping couples gain awareness of and resolve the problematic patterns of their interaction that maintain their distress. He specializes in treating couples with sexual issues and couples recovering from affairs. He has worked for many years in the VA system in Ohio and currently he is the Deputy Chief of Behavioral Health at the Columbus VA. So Nate, we are so glad that you joined us today. We'd love just to start off with asking you a couple questions about your background, how you got into psychology, and what made you decide to specialize in couples and family therapy. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for inviting me. What a great podcast. I, I just, what an interesting topic. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you so much uh, uh, for the invitation. So I, um, like you mentioned, I'm here at the uh, Columbus VA. I, I work uh, mostly with military uh, veterans and have been working on disseminating couple and family treatments for military veterans. And 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 I've been doing this work for about 20 years now. I actually got started in the field of psychology. I actually remember the day I, I was an undergrad at Ohio State University. And I wasn't really quite sure what I was going to major in at the time. And I was taking an adolescent development class, which was perfect because at the time I was coaching high school wrestling. And they were talking about family systems theory. And to me, it was mind blowing. It was like, if you ever, if you ever heard, like learned something for the first time and it just changed your whole outlook on everything. Like the first time you've learned about maybe like general relativity theory and your <laughs> mind is blown. Well, that's how it was for me when I heard, when I learned about general systems theory that we're, you know, our behaviors can only really be explained in the context of a system that we're embedded in. And it was really helpful for me in looking at the, the, the kids I was coaching at the time and how some kids thrived and some kids didn't and how that impact of their family systems really were a large factor in which kids were successful and which kids uh, weren't. So I ended up from there uh, going to Pepperdine University's program in uh, with an emphasis in marriage and family therapy. And then after that, I uh, was uh, at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. And I, uh, Christy Gordon was my uh, mentor at the time. She was a brand new faculty member. And uh, she just started this short-term longitudinal study on how couples and families recover from infidelity uh, and betrayal in general. And to me, it just was a really sort of perfect synthesis of sort of the work really that we've been doing kind of before. And I've been really specializing in couple and family therapy really ever since. And it's great to see couples and relationships really respond and thrive. Nate, that's awesome. And we are so happy to have you because we want to just talk to you a little bit about the patients that you have that might be type C. So, you know, people with type C traits, they are 
excessively nice, overly conscientious, take the weight of the world on their shoulders. They hate disappointing people. They're very conflict avoidant. So very curious if you see a lot of couples and families that have type C traits. You know, there's a um, one member or maybe multiple members of a family that are type C. How do you think this impacts the family? What are some of the challenges that that the family or the couple faces? Well, that's a really great question. I, and I think it's important to understand how these traits arise to begin with in, in individuals and the function that they serve. I mean, remember that as humans, we're hardwired to connect. Uh, we as humans, you know, we survived the millennia, not because we're super fast or very strong or tough. We don't have claws. And if we're out in the woods by ourselves for a few days, you know, we don't make it. And so human beings, our survival was dependent upon connection with our tribe and connection with each other. And we, one of the things that we know about folks with type C personality traits is that, generally speaking, their biotemperament is that they have a, a higher uh, degree of attention to detail. They can, when they walk into a room, they'll be able to let you know if a book is out of place. Like they, they, that's just how their brains operate. They also have a higher uh, ability to inhibit emotional reactivity which carries with it, I think, an, uh, an advantage. Remember that when it comes to type C traits, there's these are pro-social traits. These are traits that are strengths and that we really need them as, as human beings and really, really needed them in our survival throughout the, throughout the millennium because there's evolutionary advantage to being able to suppress your emotions, to take care of people, and to be able to do what's right. And, and, and so I think it's important to recognize that, that these traits are pro-social and that they help us. And in relationships, what that means is that folks with type C traits, they're, they're tremendous stabilizers in relationships. Like they can, they can create relationship stability, which, I, which is a, a, a good thing in general, but there's a downside to it. It can sometimes come at a cost. And if you are doing things out of obligation and prioritizing other people's needs and you're not letting people know how you feel really about things and nobody ever really gets to know you. And ultimately, you come, it comes at a sacrifice of intimacy. And so sometimes folks with, I think, type C traits can end up feeling very lonely and disconnected. It doesn't mean that they're not social. It just means that no one really gets to know them. Uh, so they'll be at the party helping the host clean up uh, after the party, but never really made a connection really while, while they were there. Uh, they tend to be pretty good at getting other people to talk about themselves <laughs> uh, and don't disclose a whole lot of themselves really in the process. So when it comes to relationships, they can be tremendous stabilizers, but it can, but, but it can come at a cost of intimacy and sacrifice, their, uh, and sacrifice needs. And a lot of it depends on their partner behavior. Because um, because some partners can kind of respond to that in a way that really kind of helps them kind of meet the middle. Folks with type C traits can be more like the the like the keel on the sail ship, <laughs> and if their partner is more of the sail, well then that can actually be complementary and really kind of balance things out a little bit more. What really matters is the partner's behavior and and how are they also kind of contributing to or supporting deeper intimacy? Can they be more of a driver really uh, in that way? And, uh, and and to make sure that like that that intimacy kind of gets maintained. So in other words, folks with the type C personality traits can be barometers of the relationship. Uh, and if they have a good partner who can who can drive intimacy and connection, well, then they actually do a lot better than than uh, in it. But if not, like most couples can run into some problems. Well, then they can end up feeling a little bit more disconnected and sometimes even resentful 
when uh, when their needs don't get met. I'm so happy that you talked about the benefits of type C traits because it's so important to realize that they are wonderful people that have type C traits, you know, can be so liked in friendships, appreciated, are rewarded in work environments. And it is really wonderful to be so thoughtful and caring. And Anne and I have talked about before that it's really when it's taken to the extreme and there is an absence of thinking about yourself, or as you said, a partner may not necessarily be doing this in a negative way, but may not be a mind reader or uh, think, you know, excessively about how the other person is doing. I think I cannot remember, but I remember in one of my psychology classes learning about, or maybe in grad school, I can't remember, just sort of about how in general, I think this was a Traversky and Kahneman uh, finding that people assume you're telling them the truth. Right. So uh, people assume that if, you know, you say yes or you say I'm fine, it really is true. But so I, I'm really happy that you started off with some of the good things. So in general, you know, as we talked about, we talk on this podcast as well as on our website about the strategies that individuals who struggle with type C can use to help them really move in a healthier direction, both mentally and physically in the long run. Although this can be very hard in the short run, as we've talked Mm -hmm. about. So we would really just love to hear about strategies that you have found helpful for couples or families when type C traits are involved. Just love to hear any of your thoughts. Yeah, I think first, I think it is important to recognize that type C's traits are pro-social and that in that I think learning to trust that they can be good barometers for how the relationship is going, I think, um, can be a, a really important strength to, to, to build on. Uh, they might be able to spot things that are coming up sooner than other folks um, in the in the relationship and, and in the family. And I think trusting that I, I, I think is 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 key. The other thing I think that's important is learning how to match your social signaling with what you're feeling. Like, for example, if you really are upset or stressed out, you know, believe it or not, like people can sense that and see it. But if your face gets tight and flat and you say, I'm fine, you know, that actually drives disconnection. Because what could be happening in that at that time is if, if a partner is coming and saying, hey, how you doing? Honey? It looks like you had a stroke. I'm fine. That drives disconnection. It actually, it actually kind of makes the other actually punishes the person from actually bidding to making a bid to connect. And so, one of the things that's important is to be able to sort of match up how you. Doesn't mean you have to share everything you're feeling every second that you feel it, but to match up how you're feeling. This is particularly true around anger. I think with folks uh, with um, uh, type C uh, traits, a lot of times folks with type C traits have been socialized either in their family of origin or in other places for that anger is dangerous. That if I feel or express anger, bad things are going to happen. And so they oftentimes learn to suppress that and to not show it. And, and sometimes even see anger as a sign of relationship unhealth, you know? But what's clear is that, you know, we have a mountain of evidence on this now that when anger is identified and expressed, it actually helps relationships, that people actually feel closer when you identify and express anger directly. And so that's one of the best things I think folks with type C traits can really learn how to be comfortable with allowing themselves to recognize when they're angry to begin with, and then to be able to give voice to it. And then the other thing here, I think the third thing here is to um, be direct about what you need. 
and and because it, it's okay to have needs and it's okay to ask for what you need <laughs> and actually people really appreciate it because when you don't let people know what you need you're robbing them of an opportunity to care for you and if you don't give people an opportunity to care for you then it comes at a cost of intimacy and so when you're telling people what you need i think it's important to remind yourself that i'm giving them an opportunity to care for me right now it doesn't mean they're always going to get it right you know but it, you're giving them an opportunity to help and i think the final thing is to let people manage themselves, you know, that like, that I think it's important to give scaffolded guidance, you know, but it's okay to let people fail, you know, like, um, I think sometimes if you're really worried about, you know, your kids doing well, that you might want to overfunction for them. And, you know, kids actually need to be a little uncomfortable in order to grow, in order to learn. And so, and then sometimes that can carry on into other relationships, adult children, spouses, other family members. Let people manage themselves. You know, uh, you'll be surprised. It's also helpful uh, to them really in that way and you, because then you get a chance to share responsibilities and separate out your stuff from their stuff, really. Nate, I'm curious, going back to your thought about expressing anger and type C people, you know, have suppressed their emotions. A lot of people who take it too far have this constant facade of pleasantness. They may have grown up in a household where, you know, anger was expressed and it was a very scary experience for them or on the flip side, anger was never expressed. And so they don't know how to do it safely. They can't really kind of find that middle ground. So how do you kind of coach them in that regard? How do they, like, what does it look like to safely express anger? And then I also just want to ask about when, when anger is not expressed and it kind of takes hold of maybe a couple's sex life because resentment has started to build. Yeah. And oh, and yeah. then there's a lot of tension there and, and the sex life falls apart. So, you know, yeah. t- just, just talk a little bit about that scenario and, and how you oh, get yeah. people through that. I think you hit the nail right on the head that, and this is there, we have a lot of good research on this too, that one thing that kills desire quickly, more quickly than anything is resentment. And, and resentment only occurs when we have unexpressed anger or unexpressed needs that aren't being talked about. So really the the most effective way to to express anger safely is to one, just check in on yourself. And I think this is where type C folks really have an advantage because they have a superior capacity at self-control you know, I, they can, they can, they can notice when things are building and noticing when they're not going to be effective and to be able to take some time to kind of regulate. Now, whatever they, and wherever they go or however they really do it, I think it's important to then turn your attention to what emotion is actually coming up for me right now and to name it as anger. Because I think sometimes, you know, if you haven't had a lot of good experience of anger going well, you might not even know that you're angry. You know, and so just being able to name it and say, you know, I'm angry right now, that by itself can be really helpful. But it's also important that if anger shows up in a relationship, 99% of the time, there's another emotion there, too. Because if it's somebody that we care about, you know, it's almost always never pure anger. There's almost always another emotion with it. And that emotion might be hurt. It might be fear that they're going to leave me. Uh, It might be guilt, maybe. Whatever it is, I think it's important to see if they can also ask themselves, what else am I feeling? I'm angry right now. What else am I feeling? And to see if they can come up with that. And then once they have that, I think it's important to recognize that there's a positive reason why they're feeling this and to be able to share that with their partner. So, for example, you know, just simply saying, hey, I was really angry with you when you were late to this dinner that I made you. 
because you matter to me and I was trying to do something nice for you. You know, that's, a uh, you, know, that, that, you know, being able to tack on the positive reason why you're angry can be really helpful because it lets the other person know where it's coming from for you. And that, I think, is one of the best ways to be able to express anger in a way that brings people closer. Uh, and and will help with the uh, with help uh, with resentment because if you're able to do that effectively, then things kind of can can move uh, over time. You know, uh, if you haven't done that very often in your relationships, your partner might not know how to respond. So you can't expect it to go perfectly on the first go. They might, you know, it might take so so be persistent with that. But eventually, what we find is that partners do will start to step, you know, in in your way and 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 open up more. Uh, and, and be more receptive to to what you're feeling and what you need. So basically, I think you're just making so many great points. I'm just going to reiterate what you're saying is that oftentimes this history possibly with not being able to express anger and probably a, a helpful learned process of you know not getting angry and suppressing it was very useful and protective early on, but later on, there's this learned behavior that gets type C people stuck. And when anger grows, it can kill libido or desire for intimacy or closeness. And as you were talking about before with facial expressions, when you're not feeling safe or comfortable expressing yourself, there still may be something coming out that may be pushing people away. And so working on noticing your anger, also trying to think about as you said, there's often a secondary emotion. You know, we don't usually get angry about things we don't care about. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, maybe it's noticing your anger, but also realizing that there's an anger there because you care mm-hmm. and trying to share that. Like that's a great softening and starting point for sharing how you're feeling in a specific moment with a partner to, as you're talking about, trying to share some of your distress, but through the lens of because I care about you in a kinder way so that the partner can hear it. And ideally that starts to chip away at some of the anger and resentment. And so then ideally the partner, you know, as you said, may take some time to warm to that, but hopefully that starts to create, that starts to bring people back together. And then the intimacy can start to become something that, that starts again. You got it. Yeah, absolutely. It can be very vulnerable to say to somebody, I'm angry with you because you matter to me, you know, and and that can be a really vulnerable thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for everyone, especially people with type C being vulnerable Mm -hmm. can be scary. You know, you may say something that upsets someone and that can be so hard for people. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. along these lines of, um, you know, difficulty with intimacy and anger um, and kind of things that may have led to that. I'm wondering, you know, do you see abusive situations that people with type C are involved in? Do you feel like they're more likely or, um, you know, unfortunately more a prey for getting into whether it's with a partner or a friend or at work, uh, some sort of abusive situation? That's a great question. And, and, you know, I don't have any data on that to suggest that uh, folks with type C are more likely to be involved in abusive relationships. But what what I do know is that because type C's are good stabilizers, you know, they might end up being in a relationship where their partner is abusive for longer. You know, it's possible that you would see that that would happen. And so I, I think it's really critical in those situations to first recognize signs of abuse. 
and to be able to identify it as abuse because uh, because a lot of times abusive relationships don't start that way. A lot of times they start just like any other relationship. And so so these signs of abuse can, I think, sometimes get missed or, or sneak up on you. And so recognizing that, you know, when when somebody calls you a, a horrible name, that that is not that's a verbal that that's verbal abuse. Physical abuse, of course, with any kind of pushing or slapping or hitting or, you know, but those that, that those are that those are major signs of abuse. There are abuse. And of course, threatening or controlling behavior, financial control, repeated affairs, cruelty to animals, those sorts of those sorts of things um, are can be just signs of abusive relationships. But but if you aren't sure, because it, it's, you know, it's, you know, some things, you know, you're not can, you know, you might not be 100 percent sure on. Talk about it with a trusted friend because and just ask what, what they think, because sometimes getting an outsider's kind of perspective on it can 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 really help you see things really in a different light. And if that person says, you know, yeah, to me sounds like then that you, then you have more data there, you know, and then and, and of course, you know, there's always um, uh, if you are in an abusive relationship, I think an important thing to, to remember is that there's help that's out there. You know, I think um, the hotline.com is a, a great kind of source of information on just just uh, domestic violence and abusive relationships in general. And there's that uh, they have a 1-800 number. Uh, if you're in the States, 1-800-799-7233 can be a great resource to reach out and, and to try to find uh, some help uh, in, in your area. Yeah, that's so important. So important to put out there. Just switching gears a little bit. So we, mm-hmm. you know, we know a lot of you know, we know a lot of type C people in our community, a lot of people in our sort of social circles. A lot of women struggle with being type C at home where they're just giving, giving, giving to their partners, they're giving to their children, and they end up just taking on way too much of the domestic labor. And a lot of it can be societal conditioning where this is sort of the woman's work. Also, it could just be the type C person kind of, you know, I'll do it. I don't want to start a fight or I don't want to disappoint anybody else. So I'm just going to take this on and, and just do it. And then the, yeah. the, the the balance of labor gets completely and totally out of whack. So very curious if you see families struggling with this and how you help them kind of work through it. Well, I think, I think you're hundred percent right in that women in general are susceptible to role strain, you know, uh, just in our culture, we tend to have, have a patriarchal culture and, you know, women who are type C and have more traditional values in in relationships are even more susceptible to that, you know, which means they end up kind of taking on roles in families, you know, where they're, you're doing everything really for, for everyone trying to work and be a mom and to, you know, manage the house. And it's, it's a lot. And so I think that like, if, uh, I think recognizing that it doesn't have to be that way is, I think, the first, the first, I think, key piece here. Because a lot of times, especially if their um, if their culture is kind of supportive of you know of that, they might they might be blaming themselves, you know, that they need to do more, or try harder, uh, rather than to see this as a natural consequence of trying to do everything. Uh, and 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 I think that a lot of that self blame just becomes. Um, it just it just it just feeds the cycle because then they don't then they feel more ashamed about it they don't talk about it they don't ask for help because they feel like they should do it they might even be getting explicit messages that they should be doing more or better and um and and ultimately it just leaves them feeling more and more more and more stuck 
So I think the first step is just to identify that it's a problem and, the, and recognize that even in the best of circumstances that if you are in a relationship where you have more power, you're going to be more likely to be blind to these things, you know. And so, so if they are in a relationship with uh, a partner who's not spontaneously helping, it might be because they don't know it. And so, being able to talk about it and and to bring it up and to ask for help, I think is um, I think probably one of the most important things that, that that can be done. And you know, and ultimately, like. I think it's important to kind of first get a sense of, okay, what, what can I relinquish to begin with? Cause, because there, there might be some things that you, maybe you just do better that you, that you want to hang on to. Like, uh, like I know, like, uh, you know, my, in my relationship, you know, my wife, like, uh, you know, she, she has told me that, uh, not to go near the kitchen uh, when, I, when it comes time to clean it because I don't do it right. <laughs> Apparently, I don't load the dishwasher the right way. And, and so so we know between her and I that she'll take care of the dishwasher. I'll take care of other things. <laughs> and so, so I think making a list of the things that, you, that you're willing to kind of let the other person do and recognizing that they might not do it the same way you do it uh, and to let that go. Um, and then once you have an idea in your mind about what you'd like to sort of uh, split up, then the next step is talking about it. And to make sure that you're identifying when you make a request, make sure you make a specific request. Like, and I think this is where I think some folks can get into people by asking things like, hey, would you mind? Or, hey, if it's not too much trouble, I think it's important to ask for what you need in a direct way. I need you to pick up the kids uh, two out of five days next week. You know what I mean? Could you help me with that? Like, I, like, that, like I think it's important to be that, to be that specific. And also let the other person know what are the positive advantages of them picking up those things. You know, if, if we if take care of this really in a, uh, in, a, in a better way, then we'll have more time for me and you to do something together or for X, Y, or Z. Or I think it's important to let the other person know what's, what's, what's in it for the relationship, more equal uh, responsibilities. And again, you might be surprised, you know, it might be something that the person, uh, you're giving the person an opportunity to care for you in this way. And let them know that. And that's that's the that would be the third thing I think is to when you do catch them doing something to help, don't criticize it. <laughs> and first of all, and let them know that you've appreciated it, even if it's not exactly a hundred percent the way that you would do it. You want to shape up the behavior more of the behavior you want. These are all such good suggestions. You know, I think as you were talking about societal influence and pressures, I think in general, I talk to my mom about this all the time, just how much pressure there is on parents and a sense of responsibility for all that you need to do. And you were making the great point earlier about how people with type C feel a lot of responsibility and frequently get more involved and don't necessarily let kids have those growth opportunities fail a little bit. So love to hear some of your thoughts about what um, when couples have different opinions about parenting styles, do you, mm -hmm. you know, does this come up frequently? Do you think for in the couples that you've seen where there's a type C person, um, how do you help in these situations? That's a really great observation. In fact, I would say that most couples have some differences in how they think about parenting. Where it becomes problematic is how couples end up talking about the parenting itself over time. It's the actual, it's the, it's the how the discussions really occur that become more problematic because then it turns into a cycle where then where what starts off as small differences then get polarized over time. And, and the reason why that happens is because specifically for parenting is because 
they're tied to very emotional things for us a lot of times. A lot of times we have things really from our family of origin for why parent why parenting in a certain way matters really to us. You know, maybe you're more of a permissive parent and 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 maybe your partner really prefers the structure and and so then we end up kind of parenting in a way that undermines the other person but then widens the goal. So I first I think the first thing around it is being able to recognize your own emotional sensitivities around parenting and where they come from for you uh, and to recognize that this is an important uh, thing to you really because of an important thing that happened to you or how your parents were or how or what what you value even. And then recognizing that you know that your partner's style even if it's different from yours that there's value in that too. You know, that if you're somebody who is more permissive, recognizing that there's actually value in structure and that you kind of need both. And, and if you can kind of work on being able to turn that difference in parenting really to a strength, you know, to learn to turn towards each other to consult about parenting things and, and together support each other in a decision and recognize that that might require a little more structure sometimes if you're a permissive parent. And for your partner to recognize that that being more rule governed may require some relaxing and some letting go and having fun sometimes. So that that there's value really to both, and to be able to communicate to your partner that you see the value in their style is very powerful. Because if you can communicate to your partner, I see why this matters to you, and I see that there's value here. That they that people are much more willing to move toward each other and to problem solve than 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 when they're in a polarized position. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I'm I'm very curious because you've talked a lot about type C people as being, you know, kind of the relationship stabilizers. You know, type C people can take things to the extreme a lot of times. And maybe there are situations where they're they're just don't see that the relationship actually is not healthy for either partner. And they just keep on keeping on and keep on sticking it out and keep on giving of themselves. So I'm curious if there are signs when a relationship really should move towards an ending point. Are there signs mm-hmm. that the marriage is over and that it, it really can't be salvaged? And and mm-hmm. kind of how do you how do you guide around that? Oh, that's a great question. I wish I had a really clear uh, answer to that. But with the exception of abuse, of course, because I think that's a separate issue. It's really, it's really hard to know when that, that time is because uh, I've been surprised uh, a lot of times in therapy with uh, couples who come in who I feel like, wow, this relationship is, you know, really in trouble and they end up doing very, very well. And other times where they, they don't. And so I think if we go, if you go back to the literature on this, that there are some types of behaviors that we know are predictive of divorce and, uh, and and John Gottman's done some really good work in this area. He, uh, you guys probably know, uh, have heard of him. He, he he had back in the '80s and '90s, he had couples kind of live in these apartments, and he hooked them all up to you know cameras and and physiological uh, uh, measures, and and just kind of watched. And 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 what he found were really there were four behaviors that predict divorce, and um, and those behaviors are criticism, you know, which is like where you're actually attacking your partner personally rather than like a behavior you know contempt is the the second one which where you're really you're really kind of like belittling the other person or using sarcasm or or coming at things from a a moral authority uh uh, really like oh you're tired well cry me a river you know i was with the kids all day you know that would be like contempt you know uh defensiveness is the third behavior and that's usually in response to criticism where 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 the 
the feedback isn't taken as rejected with information. You know, well, I did it because of this. You should understand. And then the fourth uh, behavior is stonewalling. And stonewalling usually occurs in response to contempt, where, where, you know, being on the other side of contempt is physiologically painful. I mean, like if you've ever been in, in, a, in an interaction with somebody who's treating you that way, it it is just, it is viscerally gets you. And so what happens, I think you have this high physiological spike and then and then you just have to shut down. And so what, what stonewalling is, it's, it's a response, it's kind of a shutdown response where you get really quiet, flat, you might not even respond. You might even physically leave because it's so painful. Um, and what we see is that this, these behaviors, you know, even though they're even though they're common in couples with relationships that are distressed, and it doesn't it doesn't mean that if you have those behaviors that you're going to divorce, because actually, geez, a lot of the couples I see come in with those behaviors and they end up doing really well. But those are some signs that you that you you might need some extra extra help. And then I think, of course, you know, if your repeated attempts to try to, and I mean repeated, of try of trying to discuss issues make your needs known, make your uh, emotions known, and it's an emotionally safe place to do that. And those those are continually being rejected. Well, then you have more information that maybe, maybe this person isn't really uh, interested in making this relationship better. And then, and of course, always get some, you know, always kind of just check in with other people who are around you, who, who know the situation, who are supportive of you. And ask them what they think, you know, because uh, being getting again, getting somebody kind of from the outside kind of looking in can be really helpful when making that decision. Because it'd be a hard decision to decide to 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 move on, um, and it's a and, and it's difficult to kind of pinpoint one exact thing. But just recognize that if you are a Type C person, that you've you you you've you've probably been working on trying to stabilize a relationship, and if it's been problematic for a long time, I definitely highly encourage therapy. Couple therapy can be so effective in helping couples who were really on the brink of divorce carve out a better relationship than they've ever had before. And and it's hard to see that when you're in it; you can feel pretty hopeless. Um, but if you haven't tried that route, I, I highly recommend giving it a try. So there actually is a great website. There is a integrative behavioral couples therapy database website. You can actually look up behavior therapists who specialize, who have training in intensive mm -hmm. behavioral couples therapy. So we can put that in our, our notes for the show. And I'm a huge fan of Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, which is yeah. sort of one of the, he, he kind of has rewritten this book many times, but yeah. it is such a great book. And I don't think it's just for marriage. It can be for any relationship, talking about those four horsemen and mm -hmm. really thinking about, you know, you always versus, you know, when you did this one thing in the, um, that's one of his examples for criticism. But I think we're going to ask you a little bit about books in a second, but yeah just switch gears here for a moment and love to hear a little bit about you and how you take care of yourself. We really try to talk about how self-care is so important. It's not just about having fun and relaxing, but that is really good too. Mm -hmm. But it's really about taking care of yourself and realizing that in order to help so many other people mm -hmm. as, as you do, you know, we'd love to hear a little bit about what you do for fun and also to take care of yourself. 
Well, you know, actually, I, I think I probably have a lot of type C personality traits myself, you know, and like a lot of therapists do. And uh, so I used to feel pretty guilty about because my kids, like when they're kind of younger now, well, they're getting into early kind of teenage years now. I, I, I didn't want to not be around. Right. And and, it, and I'd feel guilty kind of doing things kind of for myself. But I really started a few years ago making sure I go to the gym and and treating it like an appointment. And if I, if I, in my mind, if I think of it as an appointment, it's, it's a lot easier for me to, uh, to, to get there and to, and to recognize. And I do feel so much better when I do that. And also like, uh, you know, out here, uh, you know, in Ohio, we've got beautiful, beautiful areas to go to in parks. And I think nature is a really important thing in general. And for me, it's really helpful. I just being, just being somewhere out in nature. Even if it's and actually there's some good research on this too that it's just like 20 minutes of being out in nature can really have a big impact on your overall level of stress uh, and and sense of, of of connection and making a point I think for me um, to make sure I get some time with friends you know I, this I think is is particularly important for for men my age and older is that you know that that male relationships like they get more and more constrained over time. And there's some really good research to show that, you know, men who are 40, between 40 and 50s, that their male friendships are extremely important. It's a very, it's a, it's a pretty strong protective factor for, for heart disease and other things. And uh, so I've been uh, making sure that I've been reaching out to friends, which, you know, a lot of guys like, you know, don't, don't always do that, you know. And and so to me, I made, I've been making a point to do that. And it's been really great to catch up with you know, guys I haven't talked to in, you know, years. And then, the, and then I think the last thing for me is just make sure when I'm home, I'm home. You know, that to make sure that work stays at work. And so I can be totally present really with my, you know, with my with my family. And uh, and so those are the things for me that really recharge me. And tell us about your book recommendations. So we've talked before about how much we love Hold Me Tight by Dr. Sue Johnson yeah. and The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work by John Gottman. Do you have any others that you really love that you think our listeners would like? Oh, I definitely love Hold Me Tight. That's one of my favorites. And and I would also say regarding couple therapy, emotionally focused couple therapy is one of the most uh, evidence-based couple therapies out there. So um, IBCT and, and EFT uh, resources for folks who are looking for couple therapy are always kind of a good way to go. I also, if you're interested in like a, a self help sort of version of IBCT, uh, Andy Christensen and Neil Jacobson and, and now uh, Brian Doss, they have a book called Reconcilable Differences. Which is really great because I think one of the things that we know is that it's not differences that actually drive relationship dissatisfaction. It's problematic patterns of interaction that, that develop early around it. For couples who are struggling with uh, sexual related issues and sexual health, I think Emily Nagoski's book is great, Come As You Are, because it's really packed with really useful information. It's funny. It's a good read. Uh, I, think, I think useful really for men and women, really, uh, in general. And another book I recently read that I really liked was by Kristen Neff, Fierce Self-Compassion. Have you heard of that book? Yes. Um, you have? Yeah. Uh, she's great. And she's, she's written great. a lot on uh, self-compassion. And um, that particular book is really is, is written for women, but I think it's good for anybody. Fierce Self-Compassion. I think that's the title. Yeah. Fierce Self-Compassion. Really good. I actually just happened to be uh, talking with a couples therapist who's sees one of my patients and she reminded me of also another great book that I really love that I am. It's called the high conflict couple. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and it is written by Frizzetti. 
Yeah. Uh, so Alan Frizzetti, uh, he's a DBT guy. That's, yeah, that's he, a, I think, a very good book, too. I read it a long yeah, time totally. ago. It's great. Yeah, he um, he's done a lot of great work on adapting DBT principles for couples. So um, so, yeah. So if, if uh, yeah. So for couples who are in really high conflict relationships, which can happen for folks who are type C, it does occur. That's a great book. We just want to say thank you so much to Dr. Nathan Pomsik. We would love to hear a little bit about where we can find you. If someone wants to contact you for therapy or find out more about the work you do, do you have a website? Uh, what is the best way for people to contact you? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I do have a, a website, drnathantomsick.com, and they can always reach out to me by, you know, by email. I, I do my best to get back to everybody, uh, you know, quickly. And of course, if you're a military veteran, I highly recommend you get set up at your local VA. Because what I've been doing for the last 20 some years is to train clinicians at VAs in couple therapy. And we have now, I think, some really great couple and family therapists that can be found at just about every VA. That is so good to hear. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This is such helpful information so for myself and for so many of our listeners. Thanks for having me. So we really hope you liked the episode today. And speaking of liking, we'd love to for you to go on iTunes and put some stars on there if you like the episode, even write a review if you'd like to. There are a lot of ways to get in touch with us if there are topics you'd love for us to cover. You can email us. It's typectoolbox at gmail.com. You can go to our blog, typectoolbox.com. There are links there to get in touch with us. And also check out our Instagram feed. We've got a lot of quick hit videos covering a lot of these topics. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening today. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It's not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're having a mental health emergency, please dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the National Alliance on Mental Illness website at NAMI, which is N-A-M-I dot org.